Let me introduce you. Let me introduce you. Welcome, one and all, to Let Me Introduce You, a film and friends podcast where three dear friends from college who have very different film tastes introduce one another to their favorites. I am one of your hosts. My name is Graham, and I'm joined here by Ashley. Hey, y'all. And Katie. Hello. So we are finishing up uh, one of our favorite themes. It is... (laughs) Excuse me, what? Excuse me, what? Excuse me, what? Excuse me, what? Which is, I can't, movies that we can absolutely not believe people have not seen. And this one's a doozy, because I actually don't know how Ashley and I have stayed friends with Katie this long without her seeing the film that we are going to talk about this week. Legit, legit. Legit. But before we get to that, we have, we have a guest. Yay! We have a guest with us this week. Hi. An adorable guest. Yeah, an ador- oh, you're adorable. Ooh, I'll take it. <laughs> you actually have amazing lighting. It's you look fantastic. Yes. Um, yeah. It's all about facing a window, so you get that nice ambient glow. Smart. <laughs> so we have, you know, honestly, one of San Francisco's finest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wonderful friend, excellent trivia master, Ooh. and I've heard him do karaoke, guys. It's amazing. Ooh. We have. Kyle McDaniel here. Kyle, say hello. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Welcome. I'm both excited and scared. Don't be Kyle's scared. Katie, Katie does bite, but she luckily is far away from Yeah. yeah. We're, we're, I mean, we're on the same coast, but it would take me six hours. Yes. Yeah, it would it'd be a little bit. And Kyle's one of our loyal listeners. So this is what happens, guys. If you're loyal listeners, you're invited on the pod. So, uh, Kyle, we are before we get into the, the film that you've picked this week, which I'm so excited about, why don't you kind of tell us what your general film taste is? Like, what kind of your favorites are? You know, any, anything like that? Sure. I don't know if I have a specific film taste in terms of, like, a genre. Like, I'm not, I'm not a horror buff like Katie is necessarily. Yeah. Or, like, like <laughs> I could just, I, if it's a good film and I, I appreciate it, uh, I, I'm definitely into it. Um, I will say that I tend to be enamored a little bit on like the fantasy side, but not the hardcore fantasy. So you know, superhero stuff is good. I'll, you know, mm-hmm. I've been rewatching all of the Marvel films, actually, oh, some of them for the first recently. time, but and doing it in timeline order. That's a lot of fun. So like oh, not the yeah. release order, but like doing it the way the story progresses. Yeah. I don't know. So stuff like uh, that fantasy side, you know, uh, the, from Lord of the Rings fantasy to Star Trek fantasy to superhero, like I, I'm into it all. What you said? So you you said like not like super fantasy because in my in my head I believe today's movie is is very hard in the fantasy realm. <laughs> so what what would be something where you're like no that's too fantasy for me I don't like it. I think like for example, Foundation came out recently on Apple oh, TV Plus. Yes. Like mm-hmm. like that kind of thing where like you have to go so deep and there's like 750 characters to try to understand like like I'm not really into that. Although I did watch Game of Thrones, but I didn't read it because I couldn't keep track of everything. So, mm-hmm. you know, like that kind of fantasy where it's like you are like entrenched in this epic long saga. That's so, like, high that, fantasy. Yeah, yeah, that's a little yeah. bit much for me. But like if it's fun and fantastical then I'm into it. Yeah. Well, the list of films that you sent us to pick from was amazing. Uh, basically, <laughs> everything that I watched, from, well, everything I watched even today. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the other thing for me, like, film-wise, is, like, nostalgia plays a huge... So, like, 
new and upcoming releases, like that's kind of where I lean as the fantasy side or, or the, the mm-hmm. kind of fun stuff. But anything that's from my childhood that like I grabbed onto at that point, yeah, that, that plays a, a, a strong force in it as well. Are you somebody who is a fan of the Chipmunk Adventure? Have we ever talked about this? Oh yes. Okay, good. I, th- like, I thought you were. Yeah. <laughs> in order, for, in order for me to fall asleep as a kid, sometimes I would pretend I was in the basket of the hot air balloon. Oh my god, so cozy. So, and... um, I by the way, last night for some reason I wound up popping that in my head too. I looked it up. It is not streaming anywhere. No. But oh. the Jetson movie is. <gasps> really. Um, Yes, but 1987's Chipmunk Adventure is not, which makes me extremely sad because I wanted. I was we were looking on Disney Plus, and I was like, maybe it's there. No. Kyle, we'll have you back. We'll do another episode of Chipmunk Adventure because actually, I don't think you. I actually it. have it not. Rocks. It's so good. I don't it think rocks. so. So much fun. <laughs> but that's not what we're talking about no. today. Today is, uh, I mean, one of the most most defining films of my childhood and my life really yes yes um, kyle i'll have you uh introduce the film that we're talking about today wow i feel so privileged yes. uh so today we're going to be talking about the jim henson classic the labyrinth i think i think you have it in cricket i think it was actually jerome henson isn't that right katie <laughs> oh, jerome henson? john john jimmy john. jimmy jebediah jebediah henson, jebediah henson. Yeah. katie remember that yeah. When you you spoke ill, not spoke ill. It was a slip. (laughs) That was not a good day for us. (laughs) Yes, John Henson, Labyrinth. Um, So so you were really excited when we picked this from your list. I was. So before we get into the plot, I will say that I'll do my quick little box office spiel. This came out in July of 1986, along with the film Ruthless People. Anyone? With Bette Midler and and Danny DeVito? Okay, it's, we'll get that on the list at some point. Familiar. They have masks on. on the yeah, it was like, right? yeah, and yeah. Judge Reinhold. Mm-hmm. And, and this opened number eight that weekend uh, with three and a half million dollars and proceeded to end its run with 12.7 million. It was a bomb oh. and really devastated Jim Henson. Oh, excuse me, Jedediah Henson. And, um, but has lived on in cult film status. Ever since then. So, Kyle, let's hear it. What's, what's Labyrinth and what's it all about? Okay, so the Labyrinth. We begin in a medieval garden with a princess confronting her antagonizer. But we find out very quickly it's actually present day uh, in a regular old suburb. Uh, and a, rem- a rather dramatic teenage girl, Sarah, who's played by a 14-year-old Jennifer Connelly. Um, We're yanked back into reality when Sarah realizes she's late to babysit her stepbrother, Toby, and runs home to her scornful parents. After this tiff with her stepmother, Sarah leans into the classic teenage, this isn't fair argument, and directs her anger (laughs) towards her baby stepbrother. (laughs) Yes. She directs her anger towards her baby stepbrother by reciting a poem that allegedly calls upon the Goblin King, played by David Bowie. To take the named child away. And to her surprise, he does. After striking a deal with Jareth, the Goblin King, Sarah now has 13 hours to make her way to the castle at the center of the labyrinth. If she does, she can save Toby. And if she doesn't, she'll lose him forever. So off she goes, uh, quickly running into a crotchety goblin named Hoggle. 
After giving her maximal attitude and minimal advice uh, on which way to start her journey, they part ways and we soon hear her refrain of, it's not fair again and again and again, as Sarah struggles to make, (laughs) as Sarah struggles to make progress through the maze. Uh, the struggle is real, however, as we see Jareth <laughs> is watching over Sarah and is like a la the Wizard of Oz, uh, watching over Sarah and is throwing up tricks, trials and tribulations at every turn to thwart any progress she may be making. A while into her journey, Sarah finds herself in an oubliette all alone. Or is she? It seems Hoggle, who we met earlier, has been following her. He agrees to finally help her get closer to the castle and her stepbrother. They continue on, meeting colorful characters, solving riddles, and narrowly avoiding serious injury. They soon meet other friends to join their band. Ludo is a yeti-like creature of enormous strength and minimal vocabulary, while Sir Didymus is a fox of minimal strength and endless conversation. Uh, Nervous and maybe fascinated by how much progress Sarah is making, Jareth decides to throw up another roadblock, this time tossing Sarah into a drug-induced sleep where she has a borderline inappropriate coming-of-age dream <laughs> about Jareth himself. After coming to, Sarah has reached a pivotal moment. With the help of a hoarder, she finally realizes she must let go of her childhood views, take responsibility for the position she finds herself in. Luckily, she's only steps away from the castle. A few more perilous battles and an MC Escher's latest music video later, She finds herself once again standing in front of the Goblin King, taking everything she has learned and the confidence of her newfound adulthood. She lets Jareth know he has no power over her, which is his ultimate downfall. (laughs) The world melts away and we find ourselves back in Sarah's home with Toby safe in his crib. Sarah has clearly grown over the past 13 hours. We're left with a small assurance that even though she can no longer consider herself a child, the memories and support of her fantastical friends are always there when she needs them. Wow. Wow, that was Bravo. beautiful. Did you were worried that was going to be too long? Wow. It was perfect. That was amazing. Perfect. <laughs> also, you write all of our, can you write all of them? Can you write mine? <laughs> no, because I don't think I have the connections to all of your films. Well, it is so good. <laughs> if, uh, if I had written it, it would have been much more horned and, and more uncomfortable. So. I'm sorry, horned? Horned? Yeah, you guys don't know that. What's word? What's that word? What is that? Is that a wordle word? It, it's it, it's no it no it means it it's it's like horny but a different sort of adjective. I don't know. Horny. Yeah. The labyrinth. All right. Well, we'll get is it like here. combining horny and turnt? <laughs> I think so. I don't know. Well, I'm not cool anymore. All right. Well, <laughs> Kyle, uh, that was beautiful. Yes. <laughs> I, I would love to hear like. What what about this film, uh, you know, reached you when you were a kid and how you watched it today? Like, watching it now, what are you taking away from it? Yeah, that's interesting, actually, because the, the reason I found this film, or how, I shouldn't say the reason, the how I found this film is that, like, as a little kid, I was obsessed with The Dark Crystal, which is kind of weird because, it, it, like, I was maybe too young. Like, that movie is dark and creepy and it scary dark, and like yeah. I, but I wasn't affected in that way by it I guess I don't know but I was obsessed with it and then like several years later I was in a neighbor's house and I saw like clips like they had something playing in the background but you know this is before you could just like pull up the guide and see what it was and I didn't know what the movie was I couldn't figure it figure it out and then like several years later I was at my dad's house for the weekend and we're at Blockbuster like we always are and I see the cover of the labyrinth and I'm like that's that movie 
that I didn't, I could never figure out what it was. So we rented it and no one else wanted to watch it. And I, <laughs> so I like went to this tiny TV in my dad's office and I watched it twice in a row, yes. like back to back first viewing. I was obsessed. The next day I watched it again and I don't know what it was about it. And I think, like I said earlier, I'm into fantasy. So like it grabbed me in that way that it was so weird and kooky. I think even as a kid, I recognized like, to me, the production value of this is incredible oh. for the time. And so like, like every detail, like there's something about it that grabbed me. Then over the years, like, and I would just watch it over and over again. I had several movies like that, like Goonies, like just things that I couldn't stop watching over and over again. And over the years, it like changed. It went from being about like fun and fantasy to like what Sarah goes through and what it means to be growing up. And like, even now as an adult watching it, realizing that like adulthood is scary and you can sometimes just allow yourself to lean on that childhood whatever when you need to escape you can and that's okay and it can give you strength i think that for me like that's what the arc is of the movie yeah that's awesome yeah it's it's such a wonderful thing for like people in our age group to like discover because i mean it bombed and, and became a huge video hit so most of us saw it for the first time like out at our homes taking a chance on that blockbuster <laughs> that blockbuster <laughs> rental and yeah, it's I kind of feel the same way about it. It was just I was obsessed. I was obsessed with Jennifer Connelly growing up. And you could tell that as a young gay man, obviously. Like <laughs> that was always like, oh, like oh, you like Jennifer Connelly? That's interesting. Like okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, rewatching it now, um, the hitting on that point about like growing up in adulthood and like I was like, yeah, I kind of felt the same way because we get so wrapped up in our adult lives, and sometimes it's nice to just behave and think like a kid at some point Ashley what about you I don't remember the first time that I saw it which should be a surprise to nobody on this podcast um, because memory issues are real but it felt like it was just I mean I was two when it came out and it felt like it was just in the ether knowing that I am obsessed with Muppet Christmas Carol, just anything that was kind of related to Jim Henson. Like, I remember as a kid watching the Muppet Babies cartoon and stuff, right? And so, like, as you get older, you can get into that. Kyle, I'm a lot like you where I really like fantasy. I like things that have to do with magic and anything that lets me escape this world. I think I'm with you on if it gets to be too high fantasy and too intense. I'm just like, oh, that's a lot. But sometimes you want to dive into it. Um but yeah, it just, I think it, the thing that probably stuck with me the most was Magic Dance, the song. I could not stop singing it this weekend. And oh I just God, kept, so I, good. I just took a note in, like when I watched it yesterday and I was like, Dance Magic Dance is a bop. Right? It's a bop. <laughs> <laughs> and just, oh, that scene is so fun. It's, oh yeah. my God. I'm also convinced that Labyrinth is what, got me into MC Escher and I just became fascinated by his art. And at one point, you know, when you think back on your memories and they just start to meld a little bit, like at one point I combined two separate pieces of MC Escher's art and was convinced that it was one thing. And I was like, I'm going to get a tattoo of this. And then as I researched more, I realized like, no, one was the climbing up and down the stairs, and one was the water flowing in both directions, but for some reason I combined them. Mm. But still convinced I'm going to do it. Because there's just, there is something so amazing about 
imagining things that don't exist, but creating a world on its own that completely functions and works. And that's also why I get really mad when fantasy books are adapted and then they violate the world of the books because I was like there was a whole world constructed but it's just it was fun and it is a little scary when you're a kid but also that the fun and engaging scary right Mm -hmm. um what is it what was the scene where was it the oubliette when like that thing is coming at them and there's like all the the spiders you think cleaner yes thank you the cleaner like the cleaner's coming you're like oh my god it's so tense and then when it goes by it's just like three little creatures just being all silly and like just that (laughs) that building of that tension and then that relief like yeah it was great and i i agree with you kyle the production values were fucking phenomenal and Uh, just all the creatures. There's so many, so many creatures. So much puppetry. Even just the sets themselves. Um, like I know there were some early, some instances of like really early CGI. Um, but to have so many layers and to be so intentional, that's the type of filmmaking that really fascinates me. And I think Labyrinth created that foundation in me for the type of film that I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Should we go to? Katie? Oh my god! I'm so nervous. Katie. This is your first time seeing Labyrinth. Yes. Katie, I'm like, if you didn't oh even just like like it a little bit, I'm like legit worried about our friendship. We're kicking you off the podcast. <laughs> like, will this be our last episode? <laughs> so, uh, yes, this was my first time seeing it. And I would like to preface it. So you all saw this as children, right? You all saw yes. this as kids. And there's a different um, experience when you see it as a kid. Yes. So that, I think, is one of my, one of my like, I I tried to like halfway through it. I tried to be like I, I wish I would have seen this as a kid. So I don't know how this escaped my my viewing because um, yeah, it's shocking. Yeah, because I mean, like, and I've not seen Dark Crystal either. So okay, but neither have just... I. Sorry, Graham. Okay, so that makes me feel better. But like, you know, like we watched them up. It's growing up. We watched Jim Henson growing up. Uh, I'm sorry, Jeremy written, Henson. Uh, J- J- yeah. Johnny, um, this was, uh, I didn't, I did when I was seeing the, um, credits come up, it, it was what Terry Jones was yeah. the, the screenwriter who I love. Cause I'm like, I love Monty Python. I love mm-hmm. life of Brian. Um, so I was like, I knew exactly what to expect for this movie, but so yeah, so I have no idea how we just, it, it just escaped us because I'm also like when I was growing up, never ending story was my favorite movie as a kid. Mm. And uh, while that came out two years ahead of this, it's still there are still a lot of similarities in terms of like the fantasy type of story, the puppetry, the the hero's journey, like all all of that. Um, and and you know we we've all talked about like Return to Oz before, uh, which I think also has a very similar uh, tone of just like weirdness. But um, I I. I liked Just some it. of it. I liked some of it. Some of it I thought it was great. Uh, some of the jokes I thought were really funny, like in the in the beginning when the goblins are waiting for her to to say the spell, and they're like, "Just say this." How how hard is that? I was like, I thought that was a really funny joke. Did she say it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're like, "Just say, I wish for this." How hard? Like, how hard can that be? I was like, "That's a." Funny it's very joke. like British um, sensibilities and humor. Yeah, yes, well, Terry Jones. But yeah. it didn't have as many funny jokes as I was like as I'm used to from like the Muppets or as I'm used to from like whatever um, so the, the, it was a little bit like okay I get that this is a movie more for children 
I mean, yeah, I like the puppets, but I'm not crazy when Jim Henson does uh, more monstery puppets. <laughs> You're actually going to make me screw up at one point yeah. and say the wrong name. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> like, I like when he does, you know, the puppets that he's known for, but when he starts to do, like, like either the early stuff that he did on Sesame Street or, like, the, the you know, this, this type of, like, puppetry, it all kind of leans into this weird world that I'm not super into, which I kind of equate to as, like, the late hippies, like, fairy, 1960s, like, stoner type of vibe. Um, and I know that, like, that was... Because it, it was reminding me a lot of, like, there's this, there's this artist, Brian Froud. Yeah, um, he's the production designer on the film. That makes perfect yeah. sense then. So and, I was like, and this... for Dark Crystal, he inspired the Dark Crystal. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, this feels like Brian Froud, and I'm just, I'm just not like super into that style uh, or that type of art. And so I like, I wish I had seen this as a kid because I think I would have liked it more. But in my head, I'm just like, I actually literally watched uh, uh, Neverending Story right after I finished this because I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say you need a pal. I like it more. Uh, because you I, saw it I, as I a kid and say. it was foundational. Yeah. Yes. And it hit you when you still had <laughs> yes. more childlike wonder and weren't jaded by yes. this cruel, cruel world. She she's yes. missing the point of the movie. You're supposed to <laughs> No, I get it. I get it. Like I get the point of the movie. I really like the hands part, the little oh, hand yes. mouth thing. That was awesome. I was like, that was yeah. my I was like, I know it wasn't a puppet, but that was like my favorite like little monster thing. They had to like, make so many hands for that. There were like a thousand latex. I loved hands. it. I thought that was really, really cool. But like wasn't super crazy about everything else. That's fine. Okay. Sorry. Oh my god. I think it's also. <laughs> I, I think there's one thing that, Katie, that maybe you're touching on, and Kyle, I don't know if this has experienced it for you, where sometimes I have to remind myself not to judge films that were made however many years ago to today's standards and how much filmmaking and puppetry and everything else has progressed. Right. And so like I still hold Labyrinth in this like beautiful place in my heart. But there are other things we've watched where I've been like, guys, what? And not realizing like, you know, like I'm judging it from now versus what was possible then. No. And it's not that because I I mean, I like old like I like old effects like I like old like puppets and any practical effects like I'm on board. I was actually really impressed with the opening CGI like Jareth Owl thing because you know, obviously it was a computer, but they, they the, the way they cut it and the way they had it fly so fast across the screen, you weren't distracted by the fact that it was not great mm. effects. You were just like, oh, this is neat. So, Unlike like yeah. the first Harry Potter Quidditch match where you look at it now and you're like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cringy. <laughs> that owl actually is the first CGI animated like animal character in a feature film. It's the first time CGI was used for an actual, like, moving character. That's really neato. If you can call the owl a character. I guess it is. Right. Katie, I'm interested to hear what your thoughts on the Sarah as a character. She's fine. She felt felt like a dramatic theater kid. She was was like the, the kid in high school who is, and I was not one of these children but the the kid in high school who devotes their life to theater so they're very dramatic they 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 practice theater in all their free time they you know it means a lot to them and they they bring that passion to their everyday life and sometimes it annoys other people but <laughs> uh she's and I'm, i apologize to any theater kids sorry theater uh, kids listener. Kyle's, Kyle's a Kyle, theater kid. <laughs> if you were a theater kid in high school like it just it, she she just feels like very 
she has a lot of feelings. It's cool. Uh, Katie yeah. was a cello playing punk. With, with, like, with like a slight affect. With like a slight affect. Yeah. I also watched this movie with kind of a, 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 not a veil, but like a purpose. Because my experience before coming to this movie was, I was like, doesn't David Bowie have like a giant dong? Or is there something like <laughs> the cod piece. With, with his bits? And I was like, I was expecting like a cod piece or something. And I was like, oh no. And then, so I talked to my boyfriend before and my boyfriend was like, yeah, he gets like a super erection for a young girl and it's really inappropriate. And I was like, okay. So I basically watched this entire movie waiting for when that erection would come <laughs> And I, I couldn't find it. So I confronted my, my boyfriend afterwards, and I was like, are you sure? And then we enjoyed a, a, a very awkward Google section session. That, I, the government's going to look at it. <laughs> I know. I was, I was like, you're Googling David Bowie erection labyrinth right now Cog- on your phone. Yes. Yeah. Just put it in incognito. Uh, it's fine. Yeah. I just feel so bad for Toby. He's she's so mean to him, and he is crying so hard in that. Uh, I kind of watching it now. I mean, I'm obsessed with Jennifer Connelly. I've always been because of this movie and The Rocketeer and other stuff. Um, but she's 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 the weak link in this. I would say acting wise. Um, I think you're right. But are we meant mm-hmm. to like her, Kyle? Like, what's your opinion of her being someone who was into theater and she's portraying this very specific character? Like, do you think we were supposed to like her or sympathize with her? No, I mean, I mean, when you have a story arc for a character and, and they're supposed to be, I mean, all, all heroes should grow in some way, shape or form. And so in order to grow, you have to start in a place that with the flaw. And for her as a 14 year old girl, like, I shouldn't say this because it's actually to your point earlier. Ashley of like movies of that time versus now like now there are, there's a lot of depth that could be explored I mean look at Euphoria although I had not watched an episode but I hear about it right like there's a lot of depth to, to, to look at with teenagers but at that time like oh she's a child she's a teenager so it was like one faceted and so like leaning really leaning into that's why I put it in the synopsis so much that like this isn't fair like she's whiny she's obnoxious but they're trying to show that so that, that she can get to that growth or that you know get on the to the other side so I kind of feel like uh, I understand your point. You're not necessarily supposed to like her. You're rooting for her because as an audience, we've been trained to root for the hero. But she doesn't start likable at all. I mean, that like, and it's kind of like that affect that I talked about, that theater kid affect that Katie brought up of like when she's standing there in the park. And by the way, the only, I shouldn't say the only, but like we keep talking about the amazing practical effects and stuff, but there's that 1980s it's going to start raining now. Like, just yes. like, <laughs> just dumps. Like, that doesn't happen in real life. What? That but, was funny. You know, when she gets dumped on and like, uh, uh, she is very over the top. Um, but I actually think there's a few moments. I agree, like, by and large, she could kind of be considered the weak link. Um, but there are a few moments that I think she connects really well with the character and, like, brings that to the, to the audience. Um, I actually not to jump all the way to the end of the movie, but that last moment when she's in the mirror talking to Hoggle at the very end, like I actually think it clicks into a really nice yeah. place and like an honest place by that point in the film. And I guess we should give her more credit because she wasn't working with humans. Like she was working with puppets. Mm-hmm. So that is, that's tough. But yeah, the ending is one of my favorite parts because first of all, how they all get into her bedroom at the end and how are her Magic. parents not hearing, not hearing Magic. this? You know, <laughs> or she's still stuck in the labyrinth for all time. Who knows? <gasps> that is, oh my god, that's what a if read. she does? That's a read of it. Maybe she is. Um, what were your favorite K 
characters in this? Kyle first. Oh, this is tough. I don't know if I can pick a favorite. Um, yeah. I, as a kid, I actually really liked Hoggle. I thought he was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Like, I liked that, like, the snarky attitude that he had. And I think I was so intrigued by the, by the like, practical effects of what he was as well. But uh, I really liked Hoggle. I liked the snarkiness. Um, Ludo used to make me very uncomfortable, but then, like, I grew to love him. There was something about him that was, like, what? very... I, I don't know. Like, it's just... His movement, I don't know what it was. There was something that skeeved me out. Um, <laughs> great. Let's see. Okay, here's here's a secondary character that I was obsessed with. Not even second, tertiary, quadrinary character. Uh, do you guys, the battle that happens inside, like once you're in the, the, the castle Goblin city. city. Yeah. Gal- yeah. Goblin city, thank you. Um, Graham's got the map. The battle that happens in there. No, the the little knights that are riding the little, like, oh. green... Yeah green dragon Worms? type things. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. I, I actually drew as a kid, I drew uh, a pattern from my mom who was a very good seamstress for a Halloween costume <gasps> based on like, cause I was like, I, we could do that. That's an amazing effect. My legs are the, are the dragon's legs. And then we have the fake legs coming over the side. Now you see those all the time with those like blow up, really whatever. Cool. But I like drew it out. Like those totally captured my imagination. Um, did, did she make no, it? We, no, we didn't make it. She oh, said we would. And we did well, it's okay, Halloween this oh, year. Late present. <laughs> yeah. Decades later. Um, the other characters that totally captured my imagination, but also skeeved me out uh, on currently on Graham's Zoom background right now, the Fireys. Um, they, yeah. I think I actually, they creeped me out big time until I finally, it wasn't until years later I got to watch the behind the scenes. Because um, it wasn't available on like the first VHS or something I got yeah. from Blockbuster. And once I understood how they puppeteered them, Totally amazing to me. Although I don't know why they use black screen and not green screen. Yeah. There might have been a reason, but... It's just such a... I love that scene because of the technical aspects surrounding it. Because for those of you who haven't seen it, it's basically these, like, bird-like creatures that just are able to remove body parts and interchange them with one another. Um, And also, they try to take her head off at the end. Why doesn't it come off? With a great song called Chili Down. It makes no sense in relation to the rest of the movie. I think a lot of it, there's just a lot of episodic nature of this. Of We're going to these these creatures, and now these creatures. Um, which gives Jim Henson ability. Well, we'll just call him Jim Henson now. Thank you, I will screw it up at some point. No, I have so many more James. Ability to show off so many different types of puppetry within one film. So we have that scene. We have the hands. Um... We have those the 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 creatures that are like dogs that are in front of a door. One will lead to some oh, yeah. danger. One will lead straight to the castle. So just what I love about it is is the, just the number of different creatures that you see um, in different types of puppetry. My favorite Sir Didymus, by and large, the little fox thing, and his dog Ambrosius, which yes, is her dog. That, they were super cute. <laughs> it's her dog. I know. It's so great. He he was always my favorite just because he was so proud of guarding that um, that that bridge and the like the place that smells like poop basically. <laughs> and they're like, don't you smell that? He goes, I smell nothing. <laughs> I have a great sense of smell. What? <laughs> and then he jumps on the little dog and he's like going over the rocks and the rocks are farting. It's just so I mean that kind of like kid humor still like hit home. I don't know what you're talking about. Fart jokes are still funny. <laughs> I know. I like I did like the little buttholes inside the swamp of <laughs> Stench. I thought those were the funny. bog of eternal stench. 
yeah. thinking that they were buttholes. <laughs> they were. They were little buttholes, and they went, and they they would do the whatever. They're totally buttholes. Um, you know, Actually, who who I really that liked that worm at the beginning. The buttholes are your favorite. Oh, the worm. <laughs> I like the worm. Yeah. I really liked it. I yeah. liked. Hello. Right. I liked the worm's voice. Hello. Yeah. I liked just the pitch. And it's so cute, and the colors were so bright, and it was, I think it, as a kid, it was one of those, like, early on jokes that was, like, really obvious, but I got it, so I got to get it as a kid. I was like, I got humor, I'm, I can be funny. It's like every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, maybe this time she'll choose the other way and go straight to the yeah. castle. <laughs> and I wanted to go inside and have a tea with the missus. <laughs> I know, I was like... So there were there were like as as we were kids. It also reminded me there was like a, a text based adventure game. Um, and, oh God, I can't remember what it was called. It was like Dark Castle, I think. That that was the name of the. It was called Dark Castle, and it was on uh, like the original Max. Oh my uh, God! Yes, yeah, I you, have been wondering what it. the name of this was because you would just <laughs> yeah. travel so much. Oh my God, you're blowing my mind. You'd have to make different choices of, like, it was like a, you know, the text-based adventure game, so you have to go, like, this way or this way, and this felt a lot like that, too, which I, you know, I thought, oh. I thought was a lot of fun. Um, I like, I, I did like Sir Didymus and, and, and Ambrosius. I like him calling for the dog, Ambrosius, you're such a coward, get out of here. Like, it was funny. <laughs> um, but. If you don't turn around, I'm never feeding you again. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah, I like them. I like, uh, wait, Lodel? Yodel? Ludo. Oh, wait. Is that what Ludo, you that one. Oh, Ludo. I just want to give him a big hug because he's so misunderstood but so sweet. Yeah, I liked him. Um, but we should pivot to talking about David Bowie. Of course. Yes. <laughs> because um, the the look of David Bowie in this is completely iconic. Which one of you were in San Francisco? We went to like me. the Bowie event. And there yeah, were three. We there a- were three Jareths. <laughs> and some of them even had, like went full on like bought the wig. I was so impressed. Oh yeah, yes. Um, I still. Th- I mean, I remember being young and being like, oh, he's kind of sexy. And then, <laughs> but knowing full well that like that's weird. Um, especially if, like the hair is insane in this. But the the ability of, he was like menacing, but also I kind of was just like I want more of him in this movie because. He kind of dipped in and out of it as like the, the Wizard of Oz ish character, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, Dance Magic Dance is one of the, the highlights of of any film ever. I would say, Katie, did what did you think of that movie? That part? It was my favorite song of the whole thing. Yeah, those those fiery things freaked me out. I did not enjoy them. <laughs> would you think I would? Because I'm like, oh, cool. Like you can sw- like it's a cool concept. I'm like, you could all switch heads and body parts and stuff. Like that's fun. But yeah, I'm just like no, like I'm watching. I'm like no, no, I don't, I don't like these. No, but uh, I dance magic dance. I did, I did enjoy the song. Just like the amount of puppeteers in that one scene <laughs> is crazy. There must have been like what 70, 80 puppets in that. There must have been. Yeah. Um, and there, I mean, I mean, Muppet sets always look like Swiss cheese with holes all over them. But like, <laughs> if you watch the behind the scenes of that in particular, which, but, oh wait, I have another quick like fun fact. Then when I discovered this, I got so excited. That particular scene, watching the behind the scenes, is when I realized it. Um, I don't know if you know who the choreographer on this film is. Uh, the choreographer uh, is billed as Cheryl McFadden, 
But you may know her as Gates McFadden, as in <gasps> Dr. Beverly Crusher from Star Trek The Next Generation. Shut your face. It's Gates McFadden. We've got Katie, you guys. We've got Katie. <laughs> oh, my God. I was going to like, keep talking more about Star Trek. You'll hook her. No, I knew who, as soon as you said Gates McFadden, like, I know who Gates McFadden is. Gates like, McFadden, choreograph- she's billed as choreographer and puppet movement something, coordinator. Oh, my and, But she's, and when you watch the behind the scenes, you actually see her in that scene and then also the behind the scenes of the ballroom, the, like the dream sequence. She choreographed all of that. I don't know why. And it's so close to when Next Generation started. So, oh like, she pivoted God. quickly from choreographer so- to... And she also did Muppets Take Manhattan, too. I had no this. idea. Oh, my God. All right, so, Kyle, it's very funny that you say that because I, I, I've been, I'm doing my rewatch of TNG from season one to... I I'm halfway through my season What's seven TNG? rewatch. <laughs> uh, the Next, the next generation. generation. Even yes. I know that. And, um, I know not, but for people who oh, don't know. Oh, thank you. And I, I literally just watched the episode where uh, it was like Data's day in season four, and he has to learn how to dance for a wedding. And he asks Gates McFadden, "Can you teach me how to dance?" And I was like, "Oh, that's fun." I'm like, they did, and she does like a little tap number, and she, she they do tap, and then they waltz and stuff. And I was like, "Oh, that you know that's cute." Uh, but now in my head, I'm like, oh, it makes so much more sense. There's no also idea. an episode. There's also an episode somewhere in TNJ. I can't remember where. Like she and Deanna Troy are like doing an aerobic workout yes, warm up yes. thing, and it's yeah, the same kind yeah. of like you're trying to flex right now. Yeah, yeah. That <laughs> like Doctor Doctor was... Crusher, why are you like in leg warmers with your like up on a bar? It was very <laughs> odd. Yeah, especially because like it, it, that particular episode, it was where Deanna had just like been having sex with this other guy all day, and she comes in, she's like, "I'm so limber." There's sex in Star Trek. Yes. Oh the next generation was very progressive. It's a very good show. Anyway, has that, but I, that, that, <laughs> that's crazy. My mind. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, that, it's fun. So, did she just do that sequence, or did she do work on other ones? I think. I mean, she's billed as like I don't know. Actually, I have no idea. Yeah, I know at least dance, magic dance, and the ballroom sequence. Thing. Yeah. You know, the ballroom sequence is the one place that I'm just like, I'm not interested in this. That's like, that's kind of where the movie loses me. I like, for, I like the way Jennifer Connelly looks, although she, yes. she looks gorgeous. Uh, and yeah. I, I was also thinking that I'm like, of our, excuse me, what movies we've had two masquerades. So that's fun. Ooh. In, in Amadeus. Oh, Amadeus. Mm-hmm. Yes. But. The commentary version of Labyrinth, because you better believe I watched okay, that. Okay, wait, time out. How are you, do you have Labyrinth on DVD with all these special features? Like, how did you access all this? Because I watched it I did. on Netflix, which it's going to be gone off of Netflix. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, I did have the DVD for many years. I don't I even have a DVD player anymore, sadly. Uh, but then if you purchase it on iTunes, it comes with all those extras as well. Oh. And yes, I purchased it on iTunes. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lots of things, but um, Brian, they don't Brian Froud. I actually thought Brian Henson might do the commentary, but when I turned it on, I didn't realize it's Brian Froud. It was Brian Froud. Um, okay. Yeah. It's, it, which is kind of an interesting take. And he, yeah, anyway, but that particular scene, the ballroom scene, they worked. He commented quite a bit on the fact that they were like, okay, it's not supposed to be overtly sexual that like Jareth is into her. It's more of a, like, like a fascination and obsession. It's not about like wanting her. It's like, Mm. but there's clearly like a power dynamic there, Mm. um, which is creepy, but they realize, okay, this is a moment where she has to grow up a little bit visually. Otherwise it becomes really creepy, but then they had to work with her parents because they, her parents didn't want her to be all of a sudden look like she was like a 25 year old woman. Oh, well Mm. mission not accomplished. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I mean, I think she looks like she's going to senior prom maybe. Yeah. A very elaborate senior. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, 
but yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Like the fact, wow. and you forget about that. Like, you know, parents do have a say when it's a minor in a film mm-hmm. and like yeah. how they're being portrayed and stuff like that. I do respect her parents for wa- not wanting her to be too grown up because I think, you know, we've seen this so much. I feel like we've seen this a lot in the past like 20 or 30 years about how hypersexualized girls get when they are so young and like those super creepy countdowns to when like a certain teen star oh, turns awesome 18. Twins. Yeah. Yeah, that was creepy. Oh. It's so weird. And I feel like sometimes it is almost compounded and made worse with the Disneyfication because it is so we're going to remove any any notion of that mm-hmm. while they're growing up. Um, and I feel like I also haven't seen Euphoria, but I read about it a lot on the internet. And I, f- I also feel like now there's a lot of stuff for teens that just goes so far in the other direction. And I was that awkward teen who was like, I didn't get kissed until I was 16. And like, what's happening? Yeah. And like, how do we find that balance in portraying what is real for teenagers and across the spectrum without going too far in in any direction pen, especially with the internet pen yeah. 15 does a good job with that i think yes but and that's also taking place when like in 2000 um yep. there's all these funny tiktoks of people comparing teenagers today to like when they were kids yeah and it's it's like teens today getting ready for the prom look all look like like euphoria and and then everyone's just like our age group is wearing big dresses and big hair. You know what? I loved how big her hair was, and I am going to take a picture of that for when I get married this fall and be like, when I talk about volume in my hair, I am talking about this. I like how the little crystal things there, too, like they were stuck in there. Yeah. yeah, I thought it looked cool. That was one of the, that scene was one of the first things that tipped me off. I don't know why it, I didn't, because there's other things that are more obvious, but, um, in her room, sorry, I'm pivoting a little bit. Hope that's okay. But like back in her room, there's what feels like a lot of the like foreshadowing. You see like stuffed animals and you see and the MC Escher posters up there. And there's the little um, like music box type, you know, I don't know, music ballerina box thing? ballerina thing a little bit. And it's essentially the same outfit, right, that she's wearing in this scene and being in the inside like the crystal ball thing. Um, and so that was one of the first things that tipped me off that there that there was that foreshadowing. I, this rewatch that I literally just did yesterday, having seen this film many dozens of times, I discovered something new that actually was a huge, and I should have brought it up when we were talking about the theater kids thing. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps a little bit. Like this (laughs) moment I was like, wait a second, this is an amazing layer. Like you, we kind of realized in the beginning that that woman is her stepmother that she's having the argument with and that's Toby's her stepbrother and all of that. And being a theater kid myself, I noticed when they're doing one of the pan, the first pans in the bedroom, you see some playbills. And I'm like, oh, yeah, the old playbills. She's in the theater, too. I don't know. I didn't really think about it. If you look closely at those playbills, there's also pictures there of a dark-haired woman. And the same dark-haired woman is on her mirror. Her mother was an actress. Hmm. And so, like, there's this, this fantasy thing that, like, she's trying to – clearly she's lost her mother, or you know, whether she left or whether she passed. But, like, she's trying to, like, live in that. And it actually gave me so much more respect for her as a character in terms of like, you know, wanting to to hold on to that moment of her mom. And like, that's the hard part for her to grow up is because she's letting go of that, of like who she was with her mother. You guys, I'm serious. And I promise I wasn't drunk when I was with the two. 
No, <laughs> Kyle, that totally resonated for me. And I didn't pick up on that until I was reading the IMDb trivia and realizing that, like, mm. that is Sarah's mom. And there are hints that Sarah, the reason why Sarah's parents aren't together anymore is that she had an affair. And I think there's even, like, in one of the playbills, it features, like, David Bowie or someone who looks like the Jareth <gasps> character. And this is oh, also... She had an affair with Jareth. Right? Excuse then, me? So then if we're getting more into the psyche of a child and the trauma, like, she is misplacing her anger on her father because he's the one who stayed. And we get mad at the people who are closest to us. And he's like, my mom left and like why weren't you enough for mom to stay and just like you get into the trauma of a teenage girl and hormones and it just blows your fucking mind this is also why i get so sad about us just consuming so much just on our tvs or ipads or phones because imagine like you're saying like i didn't notice until then like Imagine seeing that in the theater when you have so much more of that canvas, so much more to be able to pick Mm -hmm. up on all of those details. And like, that's the filmmaking I love that places those subtle things that you see after rewatch, after rewatch, after rewatch. I have never read that. And now you're blowing my mind. (laughs) Because, yeah, I mean, yeah, the foreshadowing. Oh, there's a Serdidimus puppet. And oh, the dog is that. Oh, you know, but uh, that whole part. I'm gonna this is why it. Jasper Henson is a phenomenal filmmaker. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Jim. I love you. I was just going to ask, have you ever, because uh, I don't think Ashley and Graham, you guys haven't seen Time Bandits, right? No. Okay. I don't think have so. What is it? that? Oh, okay. No. It's another movie. It's very, it's very similar to this, like, fantasy. It's, it's very, Monty, it's, it's written by the same Monty Python guys. Um, although it, I don't think it was written by Terry Jones. But uh, yeah, I was. Just I can picture the I can picture the movie poster. Like I've yeah, never seen. Yeah, yeah. I just never actually watched it. It was it's also like a ship or something. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it's a ship. It's it's like on this map. Anyway, it, uh, I'm gonna. It's on our list because it's one of yeah. my all time favorite movies. But anyway, it's very similar. It's it's again yeah. one of those similar like very early '80s fantasy type of like late hippie things. Mm. Anyway, Kyle, beyond Labyrinth and Dark Crystal, you know what other. Henson pro- uh, projects do you do you like to rewatch um I did not start my Muppet my mu- Muppetification uh <laughs> um with like the original Muppet movie which my sister did or the great Muppet caper I came in at Muppets Take Manhattan which honestly That's might one. be one of the reasons my first career was as an actor like it it like that drew me in, and we had actually just moved to New Jersey from Minnesota when that when I first time I saw that. Yes, wait, I'm also from Kyle. New Jersey. Yeah, wait, we need both of wait, these. Hold on, wait. Out. You <laughs> lived in Minnesota and New Jersey. Yep, Shut. I was born in Minneapolis in a diner. Shut the fuck up! And, but we, Kyle, I am up, from Minnesota. In, I am in Minneapolis right now. Have we talked about this? I know you are. No, we haven't. Okay. I grew up. I grew up. Well, not grew up. I lived in Hopkins until I was five, Shut which is just outside Minneapolis, and then we moved to um, Chatham, New Jersey, which is north central, like near Morristown. Yeah, yeah. Um, lived there until I was twelve. Then I moved to Allentown, Pennsylvania, and 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 then continually made myself move further and further back, west until back I ended west. up out here. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Kyle, shut up. Okay, I was born in Minneapolis, and then we moved to Eden Prairie. So you're like Edina, Hopkins. I was like, mm-hmm, yep. yes. I think my came home from the hospital really. in Burnsville. Oh yeah, which Burns Burnsville at the time was like nothing, nothing but fields, yeah. and now it's all built up. But yeah, shut up. Yeah, um, yeah, you're. Yeah, it just means you're one of us then, because yeah, I was born in Morristown <laughs> Hospital. So one of us. Oh my god, my nephews were born in Morristown Hospital. Okay, it's the um, best hospital in the area. So. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, we had just moved to Minneapolis, or sorry, moved to New Jersey. And so my mom had started like bringing us into Manhattan and I would go my big river. 1987 was my first Broadway musical. And so like that was around the same time I saw Muppets take Manhattan. And frankly, the Muppets took me. That is the best Muppet movie. Yeah. It's really good. I mean, they're always good with cameos, but when you're like leaning into the Broadway community for cameos, yep. like all of that yep. was great. But so that was definitely like, um, I don't think I even knew as a kid that Dark Crystal when I was younger was like a Muppet movie because the look and feel is so vastly different. Um, to the point you made earlier, Katie, that it's got that, like, it's much more like a raw monstery feel rather than fun and goofy. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I don't, I, that, but then I, and then I would kind of started going back and watching the originals, um, follow that bird left a huge impression on me. I don't know why. Um, I just, I seriously tears every time I picture blue big bird sitting in a cage. Um, God, so sad. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm trying to think what else, I don't know. there, I don't know if you guys are aware of this. Like, I've just always loved the Muppets, but all the way through to a few years, I should say a few years ago, it was probably 10 years ago, um, came through, uh, this tour came through San Francisco at the Orpheum. I cannot remember what it was called, but Brian Henson was a part of it. Um, mm. It was like Muppets After Dark kind of thing. It was like this weird stand-up sketch comedy thing where they're actually on stage with Muppets. and they're doing. So it's as if you're going to like the Laugh Factory in L.A., um, you know, and it's like they're doing some kind of silly stand-up improv type show, but with the Muppets, and it's totally inappropriate. And I was like, "This is the best. This is yeah. like me as an adult now getting to enjoy the Muppets." Yeah, as, it as a kid, that it's like they awesome. grew up with us too. Um, yeah, yeah. I always really enjoyed the. I mean, I love the Muppets, obviously, but I liked when they went outside of the Muppet world, not only to like Dark Crystal or Labyrinth, but also the Storyteller. Did you yes. all ever watch those? Mm-hmm. So it was, there was a show, a brief show called The Jim Henson Hour in 89, right before he passed away. It was an hour show, 30 minutes of like, kind of like traditional Muppet sketches, um, who they all were running a TV station. And then the other half hour were these 30 minute specials. That would be um, like a couple different variations. Like basically the same thing as like testing new types of puppetry. And the storyteller was this old man, John Hurt. Yeah. who, with his dog, Brian, um, would be by a fire, and he'd tell these, like, fantastical stories. Um, and it was always, like, about giants and um, princesses and trolls. And it was really, really creepy, but also just, like, beautiful, beautiful puppetry. And I think it's available streaming somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. But if you want, like, another dose of that type of Jim Henson, definitely go for that. Um, and then a couple years after that, they did a bunch of Greek myths, too. Mm. So I think hey, you would like that. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds cool. I feel like I've seen that that John Hurt with the dog by the fire thing. Uh, and, yeah, I think I've seen maybe the Greek myths. I can't remember. Th- that sounds yeah. familiar, like like as a, like a VHS we had as a kid. Yeah. It's just so – I always – I I mean, you all know he's my hero. Yeah. He will always be my hero. And I just think, like, what could have happened mm. – if he stuck around, you know, what, what, cause there was so much in development with, cause they had just sold Disney. The Muppets were sold to Disney and there were so all these, all these huge plans. And, you know, when he passed in 1990, it was a shock to everybody. Um, and they just did not know what to do. So what did he, did he pass away from? He had pneumonia. Aww. Oh gosh. Yeah. And he was a, he was a, a 
Christian scientist, so he didn't really seek mm. out medical treatment, yeah. and he died, like, super quick. Mm. Like, he didn't feel well one day, and then the next day he was gone. Oh, gosh. If you want to cry, um, and <laughs> a good I? cry, <laughs> his funeral is on YouTube. And he... I've heard about it his is funeral. unbelievably beautiful. He, his, 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 I know, we're all going to cry on this. <laughs> his one rule was like, do not wear black to my wedding, to my, to my funeral. And everyone came dressed in colors. And there is a part where Big Bird comes out and sings, it's not easy being green. Oh. And... So Carol Spinney is is you know who's who's recently passed is Big Bird and he is crying singing it and it's Big Bird crying. That's so sad. It. And then they bring all all these different puppeteers up on stage with all their muppets and they sing this beautiful song. It's you guys should absolutely watch it if you want to go to cry. So, what, well, Katie? I'm curious. Um, would you ever watch this again? Maybe with you guys, okay. probably not on my own. Although I might just watch Dark Crystal just to see it. Um, but with Labyrinth, I probably will not watch this again, at least yeah. at least on my own. I would watch it with you guys, though. Dark Crystal is very, very different in tone. Mm-hmm. Cool. So it's a very, it's a more of like a, a fantasy drama. Yeah. I feel like because right. Katie and I haven't seen it, we need to put it on the list. Um, so we could do that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Also, the, the miniseries that came out from that a couple years ago was outstanding. I remember you talking about it, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely going to rewatch it. Obviously. Ashley? Oh, I am for sure going to rewatch it. I actually now, um, I find, I don't know if y'all found this when you were in film school or like as you've, as anyone has developed more. Um, there was kind of this arc when we were in school where you were, I was so excited. I was like, I want to make movies or whatever. And it's great. And then you figure out all the things that go into it. And for a brief period when you're watching film or whatever else, it kind of take, it, at least for me, it took away from the magic of it. And thankfully it was super brief because then it brings you to that next place where you're like, I have so much knowledge and holy shit, I am fucking fascinated by how they did this. And like, this is such an amazing feat. And so I think I will actually go buy this on iTunes so I can watch the making of, um, Mm -hmm. there's been a link on my phone for like some making of for Muppet Christmas Carol, or it was like something about the costumes or whatever. But I think that's something I want to get more into because, you know, we've talked about how I just consume a lot of media and it's very passive. And I want to tap back into how did how did someone think about this? And then what was the process from what they thought and the collaboration to the actual creation? And I think sometimes I don't know enough about modern filmmaking. Right. But I know so much more of it is computer generated. And I can't imagine how hard that is for an actor I mean, when you're, it seems as though, and Kyle, maybe you can speak to this, when you're acting off of somebody else, there's that energy and the nonverbals and like how much that maybe is harder to do with puppets. And then to just do it to like a human with a bunch of dots on themselves, but they're not really a human. I don't know. I just, as I'm almost going to call myself an amateur, I was like, as this amateur and outsider, I wonder about what that's doing to filmmaking and making art when there aren't all of those 
pieces. And I don't know. And maybe it's just because I grew up with it and I found all of that endlessly fascinating. But it's just, it's all kind of in my mind. But I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to watch it. And then I want to watch the making of. And then I want to watch it again. Yeah. So actually, that's going to, that was, uh, first of all, Ashley, if you buy it and watch the making of, I will, if you do a screen share, I'll watch it with you. Because I always like documentaries and making of stuff. Maybe I should uh, just fly to LA and we should just like watch it together. Fine by me. Uh, Yeah. But uh, Kyle, what I was going to ask you is like, you know, what, is there anything that's today that's more, that's like modern or like that's being worked on today that gives you that same kind of feeling that it did when you watch this that you could recommend for people or because I mean, obviously you're going to watch this again, but like, is there anything that, that modern filmmaking is doing now that gives the same sense of feeling that, uh, Labyrinth did when you were a kid? Like, is there anything you can recommend? That's a good question. Um, this is a little weird to say because I used to work for them, but I, I, I formerly was employed at Pixar <gasps> Animation Studios, and uh, I actually, I mean, things have been changing over the past several years, I think, with what Pixar is putting out. But what I'm excited about right when I left, it's like there were the classic Pixar films that were created by like a very tight knit group of directors. The stories were created by them, directed by them. They're phenomenal. You know, but there's a whole this next crew that's coming up of directors at Pixar and they're branching out into some different places. And um, like I, I, that's what I, I don't know. They, they seem to they capture that, um, you know, almost every one of their movies is a coming of age tale in, in some way, shape or form. But that's what they, they kind of capture that. Um, let's take this to a totally different, fantastical place. Um but bring it to a very universal story. That's what I, to me, that's what Labyrinth did. And that's what Jim Henson did so much of the time as well. Um, Cause you have to create some kind of universal story. If you're using insane puppets that are stuck on people's hands, right? Yeah. Like if you're going to draw people in, it's gotta be universal. So yeah. um, I, I don't know. I think I, I'm very excited about um, the next film that's coming out at, from Pixar called turning red. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, directed by Domi Shi, who's she's phenomenal. Um, if you saw the short film Bao from a few years ago about the dumpling, yeah. she directed that. It's like yeah. kind of out there, kind of kooky. You're like, where is this going? Um, I thought she but I was same, like, is she going to eat her son? What's happening? I know. <laughs> yeah, like kind of like takes you to some weird places. Um, but Turning Red, I'm, what, one of the reasons I'm excited about it is that also – she was just getting into development when I left the studio. And so therefore I don't really know. It's going to be one of the first films that I really don't know anything about um, when I see it, which is fun. But um, yeah, like onward as well. That came out a couple of years ago, kind of played with that, you know, the fantasy and the, and the trying to really connect. And then Coco, which I was story coordinator on also did that quite, you know, in terms of like, you're a kid, but like, let's tap into these real life situations and like adult scenarios that you find yourself in and how you're going to move your way through. So So. Graham and Ashley yelled at me while I was in a grocery store that I didn't immediately go to a television and watch Coco. Um, Because I remember I was shopping in a grocery store and you're both like, stop and leave and go watch it now. I'm like, I'm like, I have sugar in my hand. (sighs) I still haven't seen it yet. Oh my God, Katie, you're in for such a treat. No, I will. I will. I want to watch it. But yeah, that is my mystic memory of Coco is I'm like, you two yelling at me that. Oh my God. I think, yeah, I left the grocery store. I'm going to see Coco right now. But I actually think, actually, let's just, I think Coco is a good substitute for you, Katie, of, 
that is a modern film with modern filmmaking sensibilities that taps that I think you'll be able to relate to in 2022 the way we related to Labyrinth in 1980, whatever we saw it in, or 90. I don't think I saw it till 1990, but like I think that's like yeah, because I totally I recognize that you're being honest and with like I missed out by not watching it as a kid. So go for Coco. Go for Coco. <laughs> I will. I'll, I'll make a cup of it and I'll watch it. <laughs> I do want to plug. I'm going to do this, Kyle. Plug the short on Disney Plus out <laughs> from Pixar. You, if you guys watch it, you may um, recognize a voice. <gasps> Ooh. Yes, it's uh, it's it's a delightful short. So everyone should watch out. Out. Also kooky. Out. O u t. Okay. Yes. Okay. It's a Pixar, and it has it, there's a homosexual on it. Ooh, I will definitely <laughs> yes. watch it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It's wonderful. Um, well, that thank you so much, Kyle. This was such a great conversation. I loved um, it. Thank you. So yeah. great. We can come back. Right. I was anytime, like, we need Kyle really. back. I feel like you're thank kind you of our so fourth much, member. Kyle. Do you want to just be our fourth? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Means something um, else in San Francisco, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that is the end of our of our excuse, excuse me what theme excuse me what uh, so that was a really great run of episodes I'm really excited um, that we were able to do that um, but in two weeks we are starting our new theme Ooh. oh god uh, yes Katie you already know what we're gonna watch I just looked it up so we didn't care our that. next theme well you'll wait Katie I'll tell you um, our next theme is sequel sensations. <gasps> Where we watch sequel movie sequels. It's really, you know, what it is. Oh! And my, oh, my that's pick what is, it is next. Sorry. <laughs> um, I don't know if I've ever, like, really mentioned how much I love this movie. No. <laughs> probably the first no, time. No, no, never mentioned totally it a surprise. Yeah. Before. So in two weeks, we're going to be watching one of the greatest films of all time, especially in the past five years. We're going to be watching Paddington 2. <laughs> I'm so excited. Okay, Kyle, have you seen it? No, but I know that it's got a hundred score on Rotten Tomatoes, right? And well, some bastard gave it a negative review, so it's Rude. at ninety nine. What a fucker! Now. But um, you don't necessarily have to watch the first movie. Should I? For anyone who wants to watch along, the first movie is really fun, but the second one is ugh, a goddamn delight. I'm cry so much! It's a goddamn delight. You're gonna love it so much. I'm so excited because my my nephew loves Paddington. Yeah. He was like Paddington for Halloween. He had a Paddington-themed first birthday. So now I will actually know what he's so excited about. So good. And Katie and Ashley, if we want to give maybe a preview of what you're going to pick by like maybe one word or one, one sound maybe of what your picks are. Katie? Mine is ridiculous, but I love it. Um... I don't even, I don't know what to say. I, 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 you know what, this I, is not accurate, but the only thing I think about when I think of yours, Katie, is making a reference to a cartoon TV show from when we were kids, and I'm just like, Dr. Zayas. Oh, yes. <laughs> there we go, that's Dr. A good, that's a good that's reference, yeah. Wait, go. Graham, what noise should I pick for mine? Girl, I'm not going to tell you. Mm-mm. You gotta. I've never seen it, so I can't help you. Oh my god, no, I'm, I'm choking. I need your help. Help me. Uh... Cool writer. <laughs> yes. Do you know what we're talking about, Kyle? <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll tell you what. what I wouldn't know off. unless unless I I knew what the actual I knew what the title of the movie was. So. Uh-huh. Yes, we'll tell you after we we log oh off. Oh my god. Now. 
Yeah. Well, thank you all. Don't forget to uh, rate and review us on Apple iTunes or podcasts or whatever. Wherever you get your podcast. Um, follow us wherever you get your podcast. Please give us five stars. Please like, like, subscribe. And like, subscribe. Do all those things. Follow us on Instagram at Let Me Intro You Pod. Katie, you're, you're actually tweeting. I'm trying to great. tweet. Good I job, need to Katie. Interact. I need to at, interact with the tweets more. I usually just put it up there and then don't look at it again. Yeah. But our, our, yes, our Twitter is Let Me Intro You. Wait let me intro you. And Kyle, do you want people to find you, Kyle? I'm private everywhere, so you can't. Okay. Really <laughs> so you Kyle's can try. Be, Kyle's going to be in this. Series. Kyle likes to protect <laughs> certain parts of his lives. They don't need to be everywhere out there all the time. Although I literally just told people where I was born and where I grew up, so I'm sure they'll be able to find me somehow. <laughs> and then you'll tell us your social security number. Mm-hmm. Right. What's the name of your first pet? What's your first <laughs> name? Mm-hmm. All right, y'all. Well, have a great day. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye, 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 bye. Bye, bye. Bye. Let Me Introduce You is a podcast hosted by Graham Veth, Katie Kubert, and Ashley Crone. Music by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 License. Make sure to follow the Let Me Introduce You podcast on Instagram at Let Me Intro You Pod and on Twitter at Let Me Intro You.